Today's scripture reading comes from <coughs> Exodus uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, and chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. That's Exodus chapter 16, 1 through 8, and then chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat and pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. When the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meal, evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to, to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Chapter 17, verse 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. There, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and, and, kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Uh, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Let's make sure. Uh, good morning. Uh, before we begin, let's start with a prayer. Lord God, we come to you hungry, we come to you thirsty, asking God that you would give us something to eat and give us drink so that, Lord, your people will be fed and, Lord, the people will be satisfied. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There are two sections that we're going to go over today in these two chapters, and one is grumbling and the other is gratitude. I was thinking about changing it. Uh, and instead titling it Winers or Diners, but I realized that was last week when I'm trying to be poetic. But today it's grumbling or gratitude. So we're going to go through the first section. The first section is about grumbling. And there are three sections actually in these consecutive chapters about a grumbling crescendo. 
We saw that in Mara when the people grumbled, they said, what shall we drink? And number two, we see that the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation grumbled, saying, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And the third, we continue to see this grumbling crescendo to Rephidim. The people quarreled saying, give us water to drink. And when Moses asked, why are you quarreling with me and testing God? They grumbled, saying, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a truth that mustn't be missed. And you may think that both grumbling and gratitude are present in your life. Like, hey, actually... This, I have both. I have both grumbling and gratitude. And while you may think that, we must realize that one will essentially increase while the other decreases. One will increase and one will decrease. And we see it play out not only in the Israelites' lives, but in our lives as well. Chapter 15 ends with the Israelites saying, or staying at a nice resort with lots of palm trees and springs of water. And moving on from the Bible, it says in verse 1, in the 15th day of the second month. So when was that exactly? That was exactly one month after the exodus from Egypt. One month after they left Egypt. Why is this significant? It's because only after one month of being rescued from the most cruel and inhumane oppression they'd ever face in their history, they would say in verse 3, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Remember the hand of the Lord that struck down their enemies? Remember that fierce, ferocious, quick, severe hand? It's that hand now that they are asking, that same hand to strike us? Wow. This is crazy, right? To be asked to be struck by the hand of the Lord that delivered the ten plagues, some of the worst things the world has ever seen, covered the horse and its rider with waters of the sea that's not a nice way to go but to say that i want that kind of destructive power on me that's how upset i am and you might think the israelites they're crazy they're out of their mind and when you do your small groups and a lot of us have done this already you may think about while you're reading this Mara, we have this wilderness of sin, and then we have this next place in Rephidim. It's like, oh my goodness, why are they complaining so much? Why are they whining so much? They're crazy, but not me. I wouldn't do that if that happened to me. I would not have grumbled. But I would challenge you to think again to challenge yourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to challenge your heart. 
is that really true? You know, I've seen you. I'm not talking about you specifically. But I'm just, I'm going to talk generally, rhetorically. But I've seen you. Like, I don't grumble. But you would say, take this bulletin. You know, Pastor Eugene, I've never complained to you while I served. Take this bulletin. Eat your sloppy joe. Here, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but instead of me, maybe you would grumble against your spouse, your children, your boss, your coworkers, leaders in the church, and we would just find, no way, that's not me. The best one, and by best I mean the worst, is when we respond by saying, I never wanted this. I never asked to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon, a leader, a follower, or whatever. I never asked to be rescued, God. Why don't you just leave us to die in Egypt? First of all, yes, you did. You eyed that position at work, your community, and church with envy and lust. And now we're in denial, total denial. Oh, someone dragged your feet and forced you, did they? You mean like they put a knife against your throat and said, you'd better serve the college group or else. And like, oh my goodness, okay, 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 okay. I, I, love, I love college, you know. And what about the other side of when you thought you took up the courage? And there's a, another group of people that you would think, you took up the courage and you say, no, I have a definite no, I'm not serving. But now you get filled with this angst against the people or person that's serving, that said yes. It's like, that guy can't do a good job. I, look at all these things he's doing. Ugh. If you had to deal with yourself, and we're being honest with ourselves, if we're being honest with ourselves, and you have to deal with yourself, I, I, I mean the Israelites, if you had to deal with the Israelites or yourself, how would you respond? How would you respond to people that grumble in this way? The complaint is, we would just sit around these meat pots, and we ate bread until we were full. First of all, there's no way that that was true. Slaves didn't eat much meat, if any, especially those that were as oppressed as the Israelites. So sometimes, even when we grumble, we see this happen in our lives. When we start grumbling, we see this uh, very selected or selective memory. Remember things as like, oh, I remember when we had these meat pots back then and all this bread, and um, now we don't have anything to eat, right? We need food. We're hungry. We're about to die out here. Uh, we want meat. We want protein. And there's some irony here, because if you look at uh, Exodus chapter 12, when they were leaving, in the actual Exodus, in verse 38b, it said they left with a multitude, a mixed multitude. And then in the second part of the verse, it says, very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And this is where we get the word kaved, uh, which is where we get the word for glory, which is kavod. So kaved was severe or extremely heavy and there is the next word that they put together which is ma'od which is excess extreme plenty 
And this is why when we translated it in ver uh, verse 38 of chapter 12, it said very much livestock. They needed to use two words, two adjectives, adjectives to say there was so much livestock, both, let me just emphasize it for you again, both flocks and herds. And there's some irony there, like give us meat to eat. Give us food. We're hungry. And yet they still had all this livestock, all these flocks, all these herds. And you want to start thinking. Instead of answering how you would respond, I think the better question is, how does God respond? How does God respond? God responds by saying, I will literally rain down bread from heaven for you. Oh, and also here's some quail delicacy. Quail to the Egyptians was one of the high delicacies that they enjoyed so much that we see historically archaeologists find this and scholars see this that they would even dry the meat, quail meat, because they liked it so much. And God just gives them this incredible supply of quail. How would we respond is an interesting question. How do you respond to whiners and complainers and grumblers when you are working? It's like, oh, I wish this guy would stop complaining. And we complain about the complainers. But how does God respond is the better question. How does God respond when his people complain? He literally rains down bread from heaven and gives them the highest delicacy of meat that they could realize. I mean, he's so good. He's so good. Each day they were to go out and each day there would be manna for them to gather and each day supply would be given that day. And yes, the day supply didn't last until the next day. It only lasted for that day. But each day, God would give them their full supply. <clears throat> God takes them. He takes them to a place and situation where their faith would grow little by little every single day. It reminds us of the words of our Savior when he said, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, there's work to be done today, and God is promising his people that he will give us the supply so that we can finish and complete the task for today. You know what we're doing today? We're painting today. And so the question would be, why are you so worried about what's going to happen tomorrow and the weeks after that? There is work for you to do today, and tomorrow God is teaching his people, tomorrow is in my hands. That's what God is saying. There is work for today, and tomorrow is in God's hands. But yes, there are plans that I set, and it's impossible to live without planning. I am not saying don't be the planner, but I know that our plans for the coming weeks and the session that we'll share with you at the congregational meeting after the service, I know these plans, but after I plan or after the session plans, we lift it to the Lord. Our prayer being from Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. 
I never said planning was bad. It's wise to plan, but it's foolishness to think that you can have control over everything. Plan, but lift up your plans to the Lord, knowing that He will guide your steps. And so this is how we will also walk and exercise in this church. Every single day for the next 40 years, for as long as they're in the wilderness, God gives them this amazing honey wafer. And I believe in Korean it's translated as honey butter chip. But God would give them this amazing honey wafer. And, you know, I always used to joke around with people about manna, uh, especially when I'm exercising and we're talking about diets and things like that. And I, always think, I would always think, man, to be fed with manna, they, it must have had the perfect amount of nutrients and the both micro and macro and so it must have had all this protein and it tasted like carbs i mean like how can you get better than that as protein but it tastes like honey wafer anyway but i i'll I'll be thinking about that and then but when you continue to meditate on what manna was and what god did as he provided this for them it's like you eat it and you can still fit into your dress. Not the, uh, the, the dress, not my dress. I'm just saying as an example. You can eat it and you don't get bloated. It's, it's this amazing thing. But God is showing us that he gives us this grace that's sufficient for the day. And so what we are not to do is we're not to worry if we say, I don't know if I could ever survive if God is showing us don't play that game. Don't play that game if you're like, if this happens, I don't know if I can make it. Because God is showing them every single day that he's leading them, I got you. I am providing for you exactly what you need. And I'm going to rain down that manna for you. What does this look like? And I I heard the story about uh, a pastor, his four kids. So people will be amazed. It's like, wow, four kids. And um, one kid, it's tough, so busy. But he realized God gave him enough to handle one child. And when the second child came, he realized, wow, this is tough. But God gave me enough grace to handle two children. And the third time his wife was pregnant, they were twins. So people were like, oh my goodness, how do you handle the third time? Now four kids, three times. And this was his testimony that I heard that I was blessed by. He said his grace is sufficient for the day. And he's able to have four kids, the third time being twins, and I think we have a testimony like that too. As long as we've followed God, hasn't God been faithful and provided for us every single day of our lives? Isn't that our testimony as a church? When people find out what I did while I was a pastor in training, some would be surprised. And they would ask, how did you ever survive sleeping at church, commuting back and forth from uh, Queens to Jersey with a part-time seminary, a uh, part-time salary, also going to seminary, also teaching youth, etc. And looking back, I can honestly say 
that it was God's grace that was enough for that day and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that until today where you see this man standing here before you. I am made by grace. And that's my testimony to you. Um, looking back, uh, I'm just amazed at God's provision. <clears throat> I remember we had to, as a pastor in training, uh, uh, the head pastor would ask the other uh, staff members to do certain things. And one of the certain things that we had to do was to come early uh, for the prayer that they had at 5.30 a.m. And for me to make that was a little tough, especially going back and forth with the tolls and the gas and things like that. So sometimes I decided to just sleep in the office and I would just sleep in my chair and then I would just kind of lean it back and I would just pass out. And then in the morning when I woke up, um, I couldn't feel my arms down from the elbows because the blood stopped flowing and I would just have to shake it off and I put on my blazer and run down and you have to open your eyes wide. You can't just, because people, you know, you can't, you can't show people I've been sleeping. So it's like, I was awake for a long time. I got ready. I'm ready for prayer. And then I would meditate quiet. No, uh, I would, I would pray, right, with, with the other church members. And I'll, I'll be thinking about that. And wow, like to be able to go through that is God's grace. I honestly don't know if I could do it today, but if I had to, isn't God showing us that His grace is sufficient for us today? We have enough today. He's going to provide for us today. And we are good because God is good. God's grace is amazing. And He's teaching His people to trust Him daily. He will give you all you need. And then that should be enough, right? wrong and they get thirsty and then they start quarreling and grumbling demanding water in chapter 17 verse 3 says why did you bring up why did you bring us up out of egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock that's kind of interesting okay i get us you know you're dying of thirst maybe you're like oh i'm thirsty and then oh my kid is thirsty Oh, my, my sheep is thirsty. I don't know. It's like just trying to picture this. It's an interesting choice to add the livestock to their grumbling. So are we supposed to here now picture someone crawling in the desert of thirst, that they're dying, screaming out for water, water, and then for the sheep too, you know, that kind of thing? Or is the picture really here that when we see this, man, my swole bottle is empty. I have to walk around. What if I thirst and get a little bit of a headache? I'm upset. Or is that really the picture? I can't have my swole bottle constantly filled. There's no water fountain over there. It doesn't work today. Ugh, grumble, right? And the scripture is teaching us that grumbling isn't harmless. Grumbling is actually toxic. Some people pride themselves on grumbling, but scripture is teaching us that's not something we should be proud of. Grumbling is toxic. Toxic, it's infectious like a cancer, and it grows and multiplies rapidly. It's infectious because 
Discontent is contagious. And obviously, we're not talking about bad service or goods. If a service or a good is bad, you should be like, this is bad. And if a service is bad or some kind of good is bad, I always make it a point to never go back again. And I'll share that opinion with people. This restaurant is NG Yelp. Well, that kind of thing. It's no good. Uh, I don't have a Yelp account, but it's no good. And I'll tell the people I care about because I don't want them to go through that experience. But what if I had to go back again? Some circumstances happened, then you wouldn't grumble. It's like the circumstance made it so that I had to go back again. So making my point to enjoy. So some people are actually surprised, like, wow, you didn't. So um, a group of people, I think after painting or something like that, wanted to go to this restaurant. But this one particular restaurant, I had, I had shared that this was not a good place. I didn't like it. The burgers are always burnt and doesn't taste good, but they really wanted to go. So I went, and I enjoyed it, said nothing. But the people that knew that I didn't like it were surprised, like, how could you not say anything? I was like, what's the point? Everybody wanted to go, might as well enjoy it. I'm not talking about service or goods, but often when we grumble, it's usually directed at people, and especially those that have power or authority over us. Often when we grumble, it's directed toward people especially those that have power or authority over us. When you hear that, we must challenge ourselves. When you hear grumbling, we must challenge ourselves not to indulge. No, 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 no. You should talk to her directly about that. You know, in fact, if you need to talk to her directly, do you want me to go with you, offer moral support? And like a cancer, it grows and multiplies, but what it does it hardens our hearts. And God puts it this way. You are putting him to the test. What does that mean? What do you mean by grumbling, I'm testing the Lord? It means that grumbling essentially comes from this deep sense of discontent that is rebellion against <clears throat> excuse me, God. Grumbling comes from this deep sense of discontent that is really rebellion against God. And this is what the scripture is teaching us. Grumbling is rebellion against God. Moses himself says this, your grumbling is not against us. You may be complaining about your leaders, but your grumbling is against the Lord. If you are a grumbler, repent. If your nickname is Grumbleski, that's a, that's a sign. People are calling you grumbler. Repent. And how do we do that? Turn from your ways of grumbling to gratitude. Turn from your ways of grumbling to gratitude. And how do we become grateful? And you may think, oh, it's just about saying thank you. Oh, this burger is so good now. Uh, it, it, but the scripture teaches us something very interesting. Gratitude means rest. Gratitude means rest. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread. And the Bible says this in uh, chapter 16, verse 23. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest. That's the first day, the first time in the scripture it uses this word solemn rest, which is sabbaton, right? A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. 
If you want to be grateful, if you want to have a heart of gratitude, learn to rest. The way we are to outwardly demonstrate our trust and faith in God is to rest or Sabbath. Here's the first occurrence I said, the word sabbaton in Scripture, and it translates to solemn rest. Now, this next section, it might be tough, but I hope that you can listen. I was reading about uh, raising kids, and the author wrote about how parents today seem to be restless all the time because they are giving some of their attention to their kids all the time. They're restless because they give some of their attention to their kids all the time. Whereas, the author would write, the wise way to raise your children is to give all your attention to your kids some of the time. Restless because we give some of our attention to our kids all the time, whereas the wise way to do it would be to um, give all your attention some of the time. But I don't think it's only true for parents. I think it's true for all of us today, and if we really think about it in every day of our lives, isn't it? Everything demands our attention all the time. If you hear, ding, what do you have to do? Can you leave it to the side? So it's impossible to give all my attention to just one thing, and in the end, we can't rest So according to the scriptures, we can't rest because we can't trust God to provide. We can rest only if we're trusting God to provide. When we can't rest, we're always busy with our work or family or ministry. We can never be fully present in this moment, we, gotta, we have to be doing something. It's because we're not trusting in God. I told you this is difficult to listen to, but isn't it true? Isn't this what Scripture is teaching us? You're setting up your own plans, and you're executing them, securing your own future, your own identity, and your own excuses for failure. And aren't excuses just lies? We tell ourselves, so it doesn't have to be our fault. We must learn to have gratitude, and we must learn to rest. We must learn from the Israelites and never think that they are not like us and we are not like them. We are exactly like them. The Bible will say rest, and we respond, that's nuts. That's crazy. Our response ought to be, we repent. We repent of our lack of trust that if we don't control or if we let go of what we think we're in control of, everything would go to disarray and chaos. The truth of the matter is without trust and rest in God, life is already chaos, is it not? There is another grumbling about the bread of heaven that's mentioned in the Bible. In John chapter 6, verse 41, it says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said he meaning jesus jesus said i am the bread that came down from heaven john chapter 6 verse 41 so the jews grumbled about him because he said 
I am the bread that came down from heaven. The provision that we are to trust in God for is God. Jesus, the man appointed to Jesus. I am the bread of life, he says. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This, meaning him, is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. When the Israelites couldn't trust after they got thirsty, what happened? God pointed Moses to a rock and said, I will stand before you. Now there is a placement that we need to understand here that's being shown that we should take notice of. The people are on this side. There's the rock. And God says, I will stand before you. So where is God facing? God is standing before. So he's facing, opposing them. The people on one side saying, no. Trust, rest, that's crazy. What you just said was so offensive you have no idea what I am going through. You have no idea how many sleepless nights I have. You have no idea how hard life is. So God says, you can't trust me even though I am the bread of life? Here, go to this rock. I will stand before you. And he tells Moses, strike the rock. You know, we had this illustration done, right? If there is a huge object... And a little tiny, minuscule, infinitesimally small object goes against this huge object. What happens? The, the, the big object doesn't move. But what happens here? When God stands facing Israel, Israel stands opposing God, who is really guilty? Who should be condemned? And he goes, strike the rock. And judgment came down on the innocent. And there was only one innocent in these parties. And he was stricken for us. This was so formative for Moses that when he would die, he would make this song in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And he would mention the rock four times. That's how formative and incredible this story was. When someone complains over and over again after you've provided for them, given them these, these honey wafers from heaven, water to come out, and you still complain, God goes, okay, I'm going to face you, and there's going to be judgment, and strike the rock, and he gets stricken for us. Man, God is good. Jesus is the heavenly bread that fully satisfies but Jesus is also the rock who bears the judgment we should have bore. You know, we're the grumblers. We can't take it. We're always complaining. When have we not complained? Every single time something happens, like, oh, not again. And that grumbling just grows in our hearts. And that, that grumbling, what is that really? The Bible teaches that grumbling is rebellion against God. We're going against God saying, you're not good enough. You say you're good. You say you could provide for me every day. I disagree. And I'm going to complain. I'm going to whine. And so judgment has to come when we're opposing. There's a small and big object colliding. What's going to break? And God tells Moses, strike the rock. 
How does that make sense? But he does it because he loves his people. And he guides us to the very end every single day. Don't you get it? He's provided for them. And every single day he's provided for us. And we're here as a testimony. Man, I am made by God's grace, aren't I? Even the times when I complain, even the times when I said, oh, I don't know how I'm going to make it through today. I survived, didn't I? Aren't you here too? You're here because of God's grace. So our testimony is Jesus is the heavenly bread that fully satisfies. And Jesus is the rock who bears our judgment. And this is the God that we celebrate today when we gather as His people. This is the one that we worship this is the God that we say, yes, God, I repent now. And I want to trust in you for every single provision for my life. Today, I trust that you will provide. Today, I trust that, Jesus, you are with me. This points us to another sacred thing that we do. And it's one of the two sacraments that we have. And today, we take communion. Jesus being the bread of life, also we practice in our walk as Christians, as believers in Christ. So let's take this time to pray and prepare our hearts. If that's the testimony as you've walked with Christ, no matter what happened, bad things may have happened. There, I didn't say you wouldn't suffer. Jesus doesn't even say you wouldn't suffer. There is suffering. But even in that suffering, didn't He provide enough for you for that day? Isn't that our testimony? And this is how we commemorate and remember His faithfulness by extending this table to the believers of that faith. Let's take this time to pray. When is it that grumbling would just come out of you? When you were bumped and bitterness just flowed out? When was that last time? Isn't it time that we repent and turn that to God and say, God, I don't want to be a grumbler. I want to be a worshiper with gratitude. And so let the Holy Spirit guide and lead your heart now. And repent, turn back to the Lord, and give Him a heart of gratitude, give Him a heart of worship. Ask God for a heart of praise. Let's pray.